0: chapter 5, and tonight we, uh, as I mentioned this morning, begin uh, for a few weeks to talk metaphorically, uh, having a metaphorical, uh, Jesus uses things in the Bible to show us how we might have an impact. Uh, A metaphor is a figure of speech in which a word or a phrase is applied to an object or action to which it is not literally, literally applicable. Got all those words out. I'm really proud of myself there. A metaphor. Uh, one of the things I love about Jesus, and, and being a preacher, I read books on preaching. I read articles on preaching. I, my heroes are preachers. I love to talk and pick the brains of older preachers and help uh, get helps along those lines. Well, obviously, the master preacher was the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the things in studying the way that he did it is he communicated truth in a very creative way. Have you ever, do you remember in in school, uh, if you ever had a teacher? I mean, there are teachers, then there are educators. You know the difference? I mean, you have some teachers we can think back, and it was just a joy to be under. I'm thinking of a, uh, it's not a personal teacher I have, but an author that I read uh, history. I'm a big history buff. I love reading history books. But Stephen Ambrose uh, is one of my favorite authors, and he can take, I've read two times through a book about, the railroad, the connected railroad. Can you think of something more boring than that? And yet he makes it fascinating. Why? Because he's a good teacher. And Jesus Christ was the consummate teacher and preacher. He was really the best that there ever was. And it's a great lesson today for us as we communicate scripture. And whether you're teaching your children or teaching a Sunday school class or preaching a message, Jesus taught in such a way that his listeners would understand and remember his teaching. Uh, he used object lessons, and he used them to clarify and to drive home a point in a variety of uh, ways and occasions. Jesus, when he talked about the kingdom of heaven, he, he said that the kingdom of heaven is like a farmer in Matthew 13. Also, in that same chapter, he said it's like a net, and then he said it's like a merchant, and he said it's like yeast. Go find that. That's interesting. Uh, In Matthew 6, he said the kingdom of heaven is like a treasury. In Matthew 3, it's like a barn. And He just used these regular situations and metaphors to teach great truths. People always learn best when they're able to move from what is known to what is unknown. You ever notice that? Uh, Jesus knew this. By using metaphors, Jesus showed us that he was the ultimate and master teacher. He used comparisons and contrasts of familiar things to his audience, and he made the complex simple and easy to understand. It really should be the goal of every teacher and preacher to take something complex and make it simple to understand. In explaining the human heart, He used soils. I mean, how simple is that? Everyone he was talking to was a farmer or a planter of some kind or was very familiar with it. And so he talked about how the sower sows the seed and it falls on hard soil or it falls on rocky soil. And he used that to illustrate the human heart. Jesus was a master at helping people gain a maximum retention of what he taught them. That's what every speaker wants or should want. That's why I use silly props sometimes up here uh, on Sunday mornings to to uh, illustrate a point that I could easily just say, but if you use a silly prop sometimes, uh, you, it sticks in your mind, doesn't it? I remember when I was in, I think, maybe sixth grade, a teacher, I was in Christian school. No, I couldn't because on fifth and sixth I was in public school. So I would have been seventh grade. I was in Christian school. And we had a preacher come for chapel and he said, uh, that he he had told us all day, I'm going to show you the Ten Commandments one time, and you'll never forget them for the rest of your life. You'll never forget the order, and to this day, it has been some <clears throat> years later, and uh, I can still tell you, you tell me commandment number six, thou shalt not kill. You say commandment number eight, thou shalt not steal. Because he taught it in such a way with pictures and illustrations that it drove it home into my brain, and I was able to see Through metaphors and to uh, see it through pictures and it's stuck with me. That's how Jesus taught. He did it better than anyone. The metaphors that Jesus used helped the people to gain a solid grasp on complex theological ideas. And Jesus taught them in such a way that they were able to grasp them. Jesus used symbols because people tend to think in terms of objects, people, and concepts nearest to them. You do that, and I do that too. We, we associate with what we know, and we are most easily taught from where we are and from what we know. Uh, Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. His audience mostly lived off the land. They got it. It clicked with them, and they understood what he was saying. They gained greater insight into heavenly things because Jesus used terms that they dealt with every day. Remember the woman at the Well, you know what Jesus talked about? Water. They're at a well, okay? And he just used water to illustrate eternal life. And uh, he did that over and over and over. He had an amazing ability to link familiar phrases with ideas that at first might be difficult to grasp, but then he would drive home that lesson uh, and he shaped truth in ways that people could picture it in their mind. And listen, when you do that, when you're able to die, especially if you teach children, if you can shape it or teach it in such a way that it connects with them, you can drive home that point and they won't forget it nearly as quickly. For the next few weeks, we're going to look through a, go through a series of metaphors that Jesus used. And in these, we're going to see how we can have an impact on the folks around us. Today, or tonight I should say, we're going to see two common items to illustrate our role as Christians. Both of these have unique qualities, and both of them fulfill important functions. They should both be demonstrated by Christians in the world today. Let's read, starting at verse number 13, Matthew chapter 5. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Verse fourteen: Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle, and the, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light to all them that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Metaphorically speaking, salt and light. Father, I, help, I pray you help us tonight. Be with us through this message in Jesus' name. Amen. As uh, we've been saying, Jesus used common illustration to teach great truths. Here we see that people, Christians, followers of God, children of God, are to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Now, salt and light both have a huge beneficial impact in their surroundings. Uh, God wants us to have a real and lasting impact for His glory. Uh, But for this difference to occur, the salt must not stay in its shaker, Uh, the light must not be hidden. He talks about both of those. Uh, You can't hide a light under a bushel. Uh, In other words, we could say today, you can't turn the flashlight off and it be any good, okay? It's got to shine to be any good. So the qualities of light and salt in the lives of Christians also should be manifested, not hidden. We're not to hide who we are and what we believe. We are to shine and we are to be salt in the world. God wants us to make an impact in the world just like Jesus did. The Bible says in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, that Jesus went about doing good. And then in 1 John 4, 17, the Bible says that as He is, so are we in this world. We're to do what He did. Now, consider tonight with with me the qualities of light and salt. We start... First with salt. Every cook needs some basic spices to make a meal. Amen? Some, a good meal anyway. While there are hundreds of different kinds of spices, you gotta have salt. You gotta have salt as a basic. In our text, the Lord, you, uh, Jesus here used salt to illustrate the effect that his people have in the world. Not, I don't know who made this quote, but I like what he's saying. People don't enjoy salt. They enjoy what is salted. Think about that for a second. We are the salt of the earth. We do not exist for ourselves. It's not so that people like me, we are to season. We are to be salt. People, you don't typically sit down and just take out a spoon and dig into the salt, okay? You enjoy what is salted. We are to do that in the world as well. Let's look at some of the qualities of salt. Number one, salt preserves. Salt preserves. It, it, the goal of preservation is twofold, to seal the good and to shut out the impurities or decay. Salt is a preserving agent. It uh, keeps food from spoiling. One of the ways it does so is it seals. If you open a, a lid on a strawberry jam, it might have sat on your shelf for many months, but you don't expect to see a layer of mold on top because it was sealed and that seal sealing keeps out the impurities, the decay. Uh, today, with refrigerators and freezers, we don't really understand. Many of us don't use salt in the same way they did in times past as a preservative, but in Bible days, salt was a necessary uh, and a frequently used uh, type of preservative, even in our early days of our uh, country, too. Uh, that was very important, salt was in preserving foods. Nehemiah 13.16, uh, if you read that story, there's two, story, uh, two men come from Tyre and they're bringing their fish to sell in Jerusalem. And I, that's really all it says. It doesn't go into depth uh, detail about it. But the distance from Tyre to Jerusalem is uh, about 100 miles. And they didn't have a car. They didn't have an air-conditioned freezer truck. So they're taking a bunch of fish for 100 miles in the broiling heat how would you like to take a bunch of fish that far and then try to sell them? How are they going to do that? Well, they salted them. They would have preserved them. And uh, the, the men of Tyre would have used salt from the Mediterranean Sea to preserve the fish until they got to Jerusalem. In the early days of America, settlers used salt to preserve meat. They didn't have the grocery stores around the corner and meat markets. If they wanted meat, they went out and shot it and then they would bring it back, uh, dress it, rub it with salt, uh, hang it over a fire or in a smokehouse, and they would preserve that meat through the process of salt. As Christians, we are to act as an agent of preservation in this world. We live in an evil and corrupt world today. Does anybody question that? If you do, turn on CNN for a few minutes, but Don't turn on CNN. Just take my word for it. Uh, We live in an evil and a corrupt society. Yet God is mercifully withholding judgment. Somebody said years ago, well, not that many years ago, but when I was a kid, uh, I I, I used to hear the statement, if God doesn't judge America, he he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. Well, God doesn't owe anybody an apology ever, but I get the point. Uh, yet, I believe God is withholding His judgment because of the preservation that we have here. Christians preserve. Uh, there are still people who love Him, there are still people who worship Him, and there' are still people who desire to impact the world around them. You remember Sodom and Gomorrah? In that city, however many thousands of people were there, despite the rampant wickedness there, 10 righteous people could have saved that city, according to what God said. Live righteously before God. Do right. Be salt, and you will be a preserving agent for our society. In Roman times, salt was so important for preserving food that soldiers were sometimes uh, paid in salt. This is where the phrase came, a man not worth his salt, or he's really worth his salt, because that's what they considered worth. Now, are you worth your salt as a Christian? Maybe you're a low-sodium Christian, all right? We're not to be a low-sodium Christian. We're supposed to be... Salty Christians, and that will a a salty Christian will protect his family, himself, his church from the damaging influences of the world. Salt will help to thwart the entrance of sin and decay. Now, there's many passages in the Bible that command us to guard against the damages of sin. In fact, and Jesus, uh, Jesus himself told us in Mark uh, 9:50, "Have salt in yourselves." The characteristics of salt in our lives preserve us from sin and it it preserves us from a life that displeases God. James 1.27, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to keep himself unspotted from the world. Proverbs 4.23, keep thy heart with all diligence. We are to be the salt of the world. We are to be that preserving agent. Another thing that salt does, it purifies. It purifies. Salt water purifies any harmful germs. That's why uh, have you ever had a sore throat and gargled with salt water? I do that when I get a sore throat. Uh it's uh you, you get some warm salt water and you gargle that, it it sometimes brings relief to a sore throat, and the reason for that is because it's getting rid of harmful germs. No matter where we are or what we're doing, God expects us as his children to have a purifying influence on those around us. The spiritual environment ought to be better because we're there. Do you improve the spiritual environment when you show up? Or does it go down a little bit? Are people directed toward God by your presence or dragged down? When you walk into a a group of people or into a room, does it suddenly gain a godlier atmosphere? If you're salt the way you should be, then that absolutely should happen. As Christians, we are purified by time spent in His Word, and by the way, in his house too, among God's people. We are purified by that. The Bible uses several il- illustrations of those that uh, became purifying salt because of their intense time with God. You remember Moses in the Old Testament when he came down off the mountain? They made, they literally, don't mean to be snarky or anything, but they made him put a bag over his head, Moses, because he glowed. He had been with God and he actually glowed and they said, I don't remember the exact the puttest thou a baggest over thy head or something like that. But they told him uh, to cover that thing. All right. He was so bright. He didn't even realize it, but he had been with God, and people saw it. Because when you're around, people see people, when you're around God, you spend time with him, you're going to make an impact. I also remind you of uh, Peter and John in Acts 4.13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that there were unlearned and ignorant men. That always cracked me up. How did they perceive it? (laughs) I guess they said ain't a lot or, you know, use bad English or whatever language they were speaking, but they perceived they were unlearned and ignorant men and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. They said they can't talk good. They don't have all the learning that we have. But boy, I can tell you one thing. Those boys have been with Jesus. People can tell when you spend time uh, with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I ask you then, can others tell that you've been with Jesus? Do You remember in jail in Acts chapter 16 when Paul and Silas were in prison and they were singing instead of complaining? The Bible says in Acts 16.25, the prisoners heard them. They made an impact in the prisoners around them. Jail can be a gloomy and fearful place. And yet, here they were, uh, showing the presence of God. They were being salty Christians despite their circumstances. And when God sent the earthquake, instead of escaping, all the people stayed to hear more of the word of God. The jailer himself uh, got saved and got baptized that evening uh, because Paul and Silas were salty Christians. They purified the environment around them. Do you have a purifying influence in your life? You can't have a positive spiritual influence in others if your life is not clean. It's just a simple fact. It's hard to take that which is dirty and try to clean something else with that. Yesterday, because it was so warm, t-shirt weather, wasn't it wonderful? Whew, all the way up to 29 degrees. Whew, it was great. Uh, I got to wash my vehicle for the first time in weeks. I'm kind of a fiend on having a clean vehicle and it's been filthy because of the weather. And I got to wash my vehicle and do detail the inside, get it all cleaned up. But I tell you, you don't start washing your car with a dirty sponge. Uh, you don't wash dishes with dirty water. Uh, it's hard to take that which is dirty and make something that is clean. And so we are to be clean vessels that God can use to impact others. Living a clean life will only occur if we choose to do so. It is not going to just happen. That This choice is not an easy one in the world that we live in, is it? I mean, we all know. If you're trying to live a good, clean, decent life, it's not the easiest thing to do in the world that we live in today. But Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence. What comes out of your life is a direct result of what is in your heart. So always be careful to feed your heart and your mind with clean and godly influences. Keep the filth out. During the Civil War, medical staff, at least in the part that I was reading, uh, history of the Confederate Army, terrible medical supplies and things they had. They were forced to do whatever they could to save the lives of The soldiers and gangrene was something that they fought with constantly. And uh, it was a killer of many soldiers. Uh, The medics, one of the things they did is if there was a horrible wound, they would get salt and rub it into that wound. Doesn't that seem nice? Uh, It would be horribly painful, but it would do the trick as far as save you from gangrene. Some surgeons, this is even worse. If you got a, a shot or a shot that went all the way through or a stab that went through the flesh... They would take a salt soaked rag and feed it and pull it all the way through the wound, uh, to try to purify that. In the days of the English Navy, uh, sailors that would be flogged for disobedience and their back would be bloody from the, the whipping, they would uh, actually plunge them into the salt water, uh, so that they would be, so it would speed the healing process, although it wouldn't feel very good. It seems terribly unpleasant, but the point I'm trying to make, salt purifies. It purifies. It stops corruption. So in your life as a Christian, you're either going to help purify the area around you or you're going to pull others down. And, uh, I don't know if depurify is a word, but you get the idea. Then also, salt pleases. Salt plea, without salt, food would be really bland, wouldn't it? Uh, salt is what makes things taste bad when it isn't in them because salt pleases. The consensus among doctors, just in case you're curious, is that we should have less than 1,500 milligrams of salt a day. That's three-quarter a teaspoon. Whatever you should do, don't have over 2,300 milligrams, which is a teaspoon. Most of us eat far more salt than that every day. Uh, The average intake of sodium is about 3,400 milligrams, much of it coming from processed food. But what does the Bible say about salt? Let me encourage you, Job 6.6. Can that which is unsavory be eaten without salt? Or is there any taste in the white of an egg? Next time you have breakfast, reach for the salt. It's biblical, all right? Tell your doctor, Job 6.6, I'm claiming it. Most people keep their salt shakers handy uh, to add some flavor to the food because why? Salt pleases. We like salt. Uh, You might even be crazy enough to add salt to McDonald's fries, which is already drenched in salt. We like that stuff. God's people are to please as well. We can be a great encouragement to others by using appropriate words, saying the right thing at the right time. When uh, This is such a sad and difficult world to live in, and God's people ought to be pleasing people. They ought to lift others up Instead of kicking people when they're down, we ought to be the encouragers. I've often been encouraged by the words of others, Have't you? It's a great thing to be encouraged, and we should want God to use us this way. Bring a smile to people's face. Don't be the opposite of that. Proverbs 25:11, "A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pitchers of silver." Uh, Proverbs 15:23: "A man hath joy by the answer of his mouth." and a word spoken in due due season. How good is it? Uh, We can have joy just from what people are encouraging us, and we ought to offer that to others. Have you ever heard the one of the dumbest statements ever made? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Uh, Whoever said that uh, didn't know what they were talking about, because words can hurt, and they can hurt much more than any physical wounds. In fact, Adolf Hitler led the German people down a path of destruction in World War II. Uh, He brought untold misery to millions and killed many millions as well, primarily through the power of his words. On the other hand, Winston Churchill uh, at the same time used his words to inspire the British people to maintain hope and led them to victory. The words that come out of our mouths are flavored by the condition of our hearts. What is the condition of your heart? Matthew twelve thirty four for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh, so salt pleases. We ought to be uh, we ought to bring up the temperature around us when we uh, for good uh, around us we ought to impact others. Then next salt prods. You ever heard you can lead a horse to water but you can't give him can't make him drink? You ever heard that statement before? My dad used to always uh, still does sometimes. He always say that you can too. You just give him some salt. And uh, he'll drink water, okay? Uh, You can't make a horse drink, but you can make him thirsty. Give him some salt. When I was a kid, my grandfather, they lived just about two miles, so I often would go over to their house and help him with some of the chores and stuff. But my grandpa had some cattle, and uh, he had salt blocks out. Uh, Have you ever had that, for those of you who work with cattle? And when I was a kid, still in the Amish and uh, not much since, uh, I used to love my brothers and I would go and we'd lick those salt blocks. We'd get down on our knees and we'd lick the salt block. And I remember as a teenager one time, I saw one of them cows, they got tongues like this long, slobber dripping down and soaking all in this salt block. And I'm thinking, I've been licking up cow spit for all these years, you know. But salt salt prods, uh, livestock has a natural craving for salt. And it creates thirst as well as God's people. Our saltiness for God attracts others to Him. We ought to create a thirst for God with the lives that we lead. We ought to make people want what we have. Now, here's what happens. When trouble comes or when problems hit your life and you gripe and moan and complain and whine and get bitter just like everybody else does, that's not going to attract anybody. But you have a sweet, godly spirit around you and, and you'll create a thirst, salt prods. Will you be salt that attracts people to God? That will make an impact. And then very quickly, light. Not only are we to be the salt of the earth, we're to be the light of the world. God has placed us in a very dark place in dark times. We are to reflect the light of Jesus in our life. John eight twelve. Then spake Jesus again to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The intensity of the darkness around us only increases our responsibility to be light. And how often we as Christians spend more time complaining about the darkness than we do just turning the light on and uh, making an impact in that darkness. Now, a couple of points about light. Light attracts. Light is one of the most attractive uh, forces on earth. You ever been to a ball game? Like outside baseball game? at night, and it uh, starts to get dark and lights come on. What do you see around the lights up there? Gazillions and gazillions of bugs. They're just drawn to the light. Remember that movie There, the, the bug is flying toward the blue zapper? I can't stop! It's so beautiful! Remember that phrase? I remember as, as kid, uh, kids are watching, we always laugh about that because it attracts. And uh, I, I, I like watching those blue bug zappers, and you just see them. And then the next one, you'd think they'd learn that uh, my buddy just flew into that beautiful light and fell over dead. Maybe I won't do it, but they just keep coming because light attracts. We ought to be that light. We ought to attract people. Years ago, John Wesley, that great preacher, said, I light myself on... We're talking about preaching. He says, I light myself on fire and people come from miles around to watch me burn when asked about the success in his preaching. God tells us to make our lights visible. Look at verse number 16. Here again, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That even tells us how to let our light shine. By our good works. The things that we do, the words that we say, let that shine. Uh, God's plan for us is to be light. uh, Jesus said of John the Baptist, John 5.35, He was a burning and a shining light. Can that be said about you? I hope so. I hope that can be said about us. Many came to know Jesus because of the ministry of John the Baptist. We're to be lights as well, attracting people to the Lord. Ask yourself the question tonight, do people see Jesus in me? I remember the story of a a little girl who got saved, and uh, the, the counselor was explaining to her how Jesus has come into her heart and saved her. And she was very confused and later told her mom, uh, she says, "Mom, I just don't understand because the teacher said that when I accept Christ as my Savior, that He comes in to live in my heart, and He's He uh, He He now, uh, you know, as the Bible says, comes in my heart to save me. And so uh, I just don't understand because if big old Jesus came into little old me, He'd be sticking out all over the place. Yeah, that's the idea. He should be, he should be evident. Light attracts. Light also repels. Light repels." It repels the darkness. Have you ever, uh, w- w- this summer, uh, my son Mike and I went to Wind Cave out in uh, western South Dakota here. And uh, we went through the cave. Man, we must have walked about three-quarters of a mile through the cave there. And at one point, one of the deepest points, they said, all right, got to hold on to the railing, and uh, no phones out. Everybody's phones are in their pocket, and they turn off the light. It was dark. You ever been in a cave when they turn off the light? is dark like you haven't seen dark before. No points of light anywhere. And then all the way at the other end, the guide, he flicks on a little lighter. And that little bitty light made a big difference in this huge cavern that we're in. Why? Because the darker it is, the brighter the light shines. And light repels darkness. You literally uh, will make a big impact with your life if you let your light shine. It's interesting when you look around today how dark things are. The bars are dark. The dens of iniquity, they tend to be darker. That's why it concerns me when churches turn their lights off and get darker and darker and paint their walls black. That just—I just I just don't like that personally because we're not about being dark. We're about showing the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. We live in a dark time. We ought to let our light shine. And then also, this is a big one, light requires a source. If you're to reflect the light of the Lord, we better understand the source of this light. Where does it come from? I remember very vividly, I'm not even going to tell you how old I was because it would make me look terribly stupid, but I'm standing in the backyard of uh, of our house. It was one of those nights where the moon was so bright, you could almost like touch it. I mean, it just, it was so clear and it was so bright and it was about half half uh the, the about half visible it wasn't full so it was about halfway and it was just one of those really really bright nights and it just finally dawned on me that the moon doesn't shine you know it is one of those things where you can see that it's reflecting it's like that's the sun's light that's not the moon the moon's not shining i've been thinking about this all wrong my whole life and uh that that's we understand we as christians are much more like the moon than we are the sun we don't produce the light we just reflect it we reflect the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. James 1.17, every good gift and perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. 1 John 1.5, this then is the message we have heard from Him and declare unto you that God is light. He is the light in us. We ought to let that shine. When we walk with the Lord, some people will be drawn to the light we reflect and some will, will hate the light that we reflect. Light always has the quality of being pleasurable to some and irritating to others. You ever notice that? The closer we are to the Lord, the more we're like Him. We're going to attract certain people and we're going to repel certain people. But uh, we need to shine the light. Another source of light is the Bible. God is light. The Bible is light as well. Psalm 119, 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Psalm 119:130. The entrance of thy words giveth light. Peter called the word of God in 2nd Peter chapter 1 verse 19 a light that shineth in a dark place. It is vital that we we have this light in our life as well. We need to read it, memorize it, meditate on it, and that'll make a big difference in our life so that the light of God can then effectively shine through us. By the way, you know what ended the dark ages? You read much about the Dark Ages, real fun time to be alive. I mean, just a terrible existence in the Dark Ages. Around the year 1450, a man named Johannes Gutenberg of Germany built the first printing press. You know what he started cranking out on this printing press? One of the first things he started cranking out was the Bible. And he became famous for the Gutenberg Bible. With the invention of the printing press, the Bible suddenly became less expensive and more accessible To the common man. And as the Bible got distributed, it brought about the Reformation and it brought an end. It was largely responsible for bringing an end to the Dark Ages. Because why? The Bible is light. Let it shine in you. Learn it, live it, and it'll make a difference. The key aspect of both salt and light is that they make an impact in their surroundings. Salt makes a big difference. You know when you take that, I remember when my sister cooked for us the first time. Whoo! We needed a lot of salt for that. But you know, when you, you when you take a bite, you know immediately. Oh, need salt. You put salt on it changes everything, doesn't it? You also know light does the same thing. When it's too dark, we need a flashlight. We need a headlamp. We need to uh, flick a switch and turn the light on so that we can see, because it makes a big difference in the environment. And if you are salt, and if you are light. And if I am salt and light the way that we ought to be for the Lord, we're going to make a big impact in the surroundings around. You can't help it because not enough salt or too much salt is very noticeable. Not enough light or too much light, very noticeable. It's also noticeable for us as well. God has given us the privilege and responsibility of representing Him. Let's allow God to impact us so that we can now impact others for Him. Amen? Be salt, be light, metaphorically speaking. Father, we pray You'd help us to put these things to use, to practice in our life. Lord, help us to be that salt that is so desperately needed in our communities today. Help us to be that light that is so desperately needed as well in the dark world that we live in. Help us to make an impact in every day of our life, Lord. May we please You, live for You, affecting others for the gospel. We'll give you the glory, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here this evening again. Appreciate it. Always good on Sunday night. God bless you. You are dismissed. We'll see you Wednesday at 7.